every podcast I say I'm a youth mentor I'm actually creating my own foundation brand brand new this year for me because I have an entrepreneur mindset I want to tackle the things that people haven't tackled so for instance getting the actual premises like really going for it so I've got a local petition that I'm starting you can find it on change.org which is basically turning the old NatWest building on Acton High Street to a youth community complex uh, so I just started a great idea to have a crowdfunding campaign in my local area so go and support us we've got a page and a link for that what's hard is going yo yesterday i got nothing from working as hard as i could nothing happened from that i'm gonna do the same thing again today but i'm gonna try to go harder that's the hardest thing in the world mm-hmm. to get up every day and give a hundred percent and and be in the same position that you were each day but mentally know that you're trying and trying and trying that's that's a real that's a real I'm Jerome. Welcome to Desire to Inspire podcast. Um, I'm an entrepreneur, young youth mentor, and I'm here basically to give you my thoughts of the day, uh, give you insight, dropping a lot of jewels, a lot of gems, um, and a lot of knowledge. So yeah, today obviously I basically collate all the stuff that I think about, plus um, excerpt from books, you know, tips from books I'm reading. Uh, the moment I'm reading, what you see is what you get by Alan Sugar. So, um, yeah, I'm going to stop doing that, actually, because that's a bit annoying. But um, just going to get out my notes, because I make notes on my phone throughout the day, <clears throat> and then refer back to them while I'm talking. Um, but obviously, I would if I want to go deep into a topic, I'll do that. Um, so, yeah, first I'm going to start off with the book, um, and then go into kind of, you know, what stuff I could actually, or value I could share um, so yeah, you definitely will get motivated. You definitely get inspired every episode. That's the key. Um, and yeah, I'm gonna start to read. So today I was reading this book. Um, I'm, I'm nearly like 200 pages in. It's a 600 and you know over 600 pages book. So it's a massive one. Um, very interesting stuff actually. So this one thing here that I basically underlined was um, here where he says people are passionate about their business. And they tend to overlook certain issues, which is so, so true, you know, um, in terms of cash flow, um, in terms of money management, in terms of people management. It's so, so key to be on point with that, because if you're just grossing yourself and being passionate, you can overlook certain problems. And, and money is one of them. And money is such a key fundamental fact. You know, cash is king. Um, so I'm going to go for another note here. This is actually a good one. I like this one. This ties into my next topic. So he talks about obviously doing well as Amistad and his hi-fi company going public and start getting published and he started to become basically popular from business. And here he says, from a public perception point of view, it was the rags to riches success story. The boy who was born into a poor Taylor family and brought up in a council estate in Hackney now had a company valued 8 million. And that's such an inspiring thing that basically goes to show you that Statistics don't really matter. You know, I'm speaking from people that come from background that I come from. It's all your mindset. You know, people feel like if you have a certain path, you're destined for success. If you have a certain path, you're not destined for success. But it all boils down to the individual. And what this says is any person, literally anybody, your circumstance doesn't make you. It's about learning and growing through it. And, you know, he was one of the last people that made it kind of off your own back, doing his own thing from where he came from and he became a massive inspiration so the next line here is um we had just come out of a recession and amistad was the first 
um, flotation to occur after those depressing days. And this even ties into even today and like where we are with the pandemic and people in business worrying and stuff like that. But for me, this is the best time. Um, Didn't you know that the Fortune 500 companies, most of them were started in bad economic times. That's that's a fact. Um, So sometimes, yes, the economy can thrive, but sometimes if you can spot the opportunity where everyone's running around, um, then that's kind of a real gift. Um, so when everyone's running around and panicking, you're still focusing on your goal and you still want to make things happen, which is a rare thing. A lot of people, I feel, are too influenced on outside factors. Um, but it's it's really, really important to tunnel vision um, yourself into what you're doing and try to, it's, again, it's a discipline to just focus on what you're doing and, and still believe in it wholeheartedly, no matter what's going on. And that's kind of been my whole thing during this pandemic, like nothing changes. Um, you know, it's just about learning how to take the next step. It's not about giving up and stopping. Um, so yeah, this next line here says, the Rax to Richard story was right in line with the culture that Margaret Thatcher was trying to, to nature, the ethos that anyone can do it. So this is like, obviously like um, the politics and stuff around that. I feel like when Alan Sugar done it, it wasn't like today where anyone can just go on Instagram and, you know, register stuff on HMRC and just, you know, the internet has made it very easy, you know. But I think this time there was a lot of workers in the 70s and 80s. So the fact that Alan Sugar became, uh, you know, from the ground up kind of guy and, and literally made millions of his company and created jobs in, 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 in entrepreneurship is such a massive thing at that time that a lot of people maybe thought it weren't possible. And he became one of the pioneers from what it sounds like, you know, there wasn't a lot of people that he could rub shoulders with that were actually sharing this kind of success in entrepreneurship in these times. Remember, there's no internet. So everything that you feel you can do in five minutes might have took you five months in the 70s and 80s. So here, another line, he says, I remembered some of the lessons I'd always learned. Give the people you're dealing with an elegant way out and share some of the prosperity with them. Those who help you make money. So what he's saying is basically, you know, you got to remember you know, the lessons, always be a student, which I try to adopt the most. Never be above any sort of advice and direction because everyone needs it. Um, you know, and always give people that you're dealing with an elegant way out. So never leave on bad terms, never leave on bad blood. I'll give you instance, you know, I worked with somebody who wasn't working out. I said to them, literally my words were, I still want you in my life. I still think you're valuable. But this project, like so far, you know, in terms of me looking at it from the outside and you know, gauging it over a certain period of time. This is not something that I can do with you long term, but you're definitely someone I can talk to. And that's maturity. So just because people don't get what they want in the moment, they just want to cut people off. But what I've learned is you've got to build bridges, not burn them. So even if a project doesn't work out, you still know that that person could be someone you could just have around, just have them as a friend. I think that's that's key. So it's good to have kind of, like I said, a level of maturity in terms of dealing with people. And if you have to part ways, you part ways. But it never has to be negative. It never has to be, you know, you're eradicating out your life completely because there was a reason why they came in your life in the first place. Um, Yeah, so that's basically what I think about that one. Um, Let's see if I made any more notes and I can go on to the next section of the podcast. Yeah, that's more or less it. Like I said, most of the book is talking about other aspects of his life. I want to focus on business. I want to focus on entrepreneurship. And I want to focus on 
stuff that I can actively use, stuff that I can relate to, stuff that I can share that will be possible valuable to others. So, yeah, man, today was a really good day, man. Like, um, I'm actually doing a 30-day, um, sorry, 30 calls per day masterclass uh, in relationship building by Ryan Leslie. If you don't know who Ryan Leslie is, he's a producer. He basically produced and wrote all Cassie's song. Cassie done a song called Me and You back in 2007, which was really big. He worked under um, PDD around that time. And he has a massive story which I'm going to share, which is so, I would just say very, very smart and strategic. So he was already working with PDD around the time. And he was working with Cassie, right? And he wanted to kind of, you know, about all the noise and all the people that were going on around Bad Boy, he wanted to kind of make you know, did he pay attention, basically, and he knew somebody that knew him, he built a relationship with him, and what he'd done, like, he, the person was a DJ, and he obviously knew what was going on, so instead of what most people would do is run up on him or try and make a call when he's busy, when in his brain you can't really make the time, you know, you got to be able to create the energy and make it come to you, that's what I saw, so the guy, the DJ, the DJ played every weekend, so what he'd done, he made sure that the DJ was playing that song every weekend. And then he just wondered, like, every every weekend, why is this one song always playing? And then obviously he started to ask, you know, who done that song and da 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 Long story short, Diddy called him. And I feel like networking and, you know, building relationships is a science. You have to gauge it. You have to gauge every situation. You have to know that everybody's different and just find ways to cut through the noise. Because if you want something from somebody and you're just in a list of everybody wants something, you're always going to be labelled that person. So it's always good to get and keep attention and let people come to you. And that's a strategic way. And that is how Ryan Leslie got into Diddy's uh, circle, was just being smart about it. Um, so sometimes if you want to build a relationship with somebody, for me, it's important to do it with the person that they're next to. So for instance, if you want to try and get like a record deal or, you know, get signed or anything like that, if you notice on the Instagram, for instance, they're always posting with their uh, friend, right? Then you might go to the friend because when they're sitting down every day, that person's riding every day, they might say, oh yeah, I've heard this. Oh, it's they're really good. They're more going to pay attention to that person because they're close to them. Then, oh yeah, this is just what's getting played on the radio right now. So the more connected you are, the, the more you can reduce the dependency on luck on what you do. And, you know, we're going to take this back to, uh, you know, 2017, where when I when I, when I I lost my studio, it was like, what really did I, what did I gain? What did I lose, really? But I really gained the experience and I gained the relationship of having connections and warm connections with people that can change and influence your life. There's two people that I spoke to. One was Patrick, one was Rory. Two people that were young black males like myself, young entrepreneurs like myself, both into music. And I was talking to them on a daily basis, weekly basis, and I learned and I've grown from them even to this day. And <clears throat> what I learned in that time, it's just about really the relationships. And there's two things that somebody told me one day. I remember like when I was telling these people that, you know, I like to do everything in my company. I like to learn everything and never above anyone. And somebody told me like his job was to basically take entrepreneurs to venture capitalists. Venture capitalists are basically people that invest in businesses and take equity like Dragon's Den and he said I said you know what is the the common thing and he said to me that most people want to do a lot of stuff on their own and number two you know a lot of people work hard but people just aren't determined 
And, you know, that was a great thing to take. And I thought, yeah, that's that's true, you know. It's about the effort, right? And I remember when I was doing, like, Music Heavy in 2009, I named my second project Time, Effort, Consistency, because I just knew at that, that point, anything you want to achieve is always going to take these three things. And um, it's very hard to do because you need discipline, but knowing is not enough. You need to kind of implement them through repetition, in my opinion, because um, you're never going to get it right first time. You might not get it right the 10th time. But the whole point is that you keep going and you learn and you assess. And um, <clears throat> yeah, that's about it really. But, you know, in that in that time, I was kind of, you know, running my own events. I was going to events first and my problem was getting business cards, exchange of content information. I'm thinking that's what networking is. And to be honest, I knew it was important in business. I just knew, but I didn't know how to do it well. I didn't know how to get the relationships. I didn't know what I wanted. So what I'd done, I, after I watched it around Leslie, I was so inspired, right? He'd done a podcast. And then after that, I ended up just doing like a, what can I call a guinea pig event. I basically created a funnel on Meetup. If you don't know meetup.com and Eventbrite um, of an event to say, look, we're not we're here to, because most of the events I went to, they were trying to sell product, sell service. They were never really trying to give. So basically what I've done is trying to change the mold um, from what I've learned, right? So I watched that and I copied it. I, I copied what happened, you know, I kind of watched it and got inspired. So what I've done is I ran events, you know, in 2017, but more in 2018, um, with the same format of, you know, building relationships and trying to get people to understand what that is. But before I'd done that, again, it's about researching data. I, you know, got everyone's number. You know, a lot of, well, this is a lot of work. I basically got, I email people because you get the email address in Eventbrite or message them on Meetup for the email. And then I added them to a WhatsApp group. And then I asked everybody, what are you getting from this event? You know, nine times out of 10, yes, there are a small amount of people that want to get business from an event, but at the end of the day, you got to look at the data. Are you getting the retention? Are you getting the return? Or is it just, you know, so some people can't even get support from their family and friends. How could you go to an event and expect that to happen? And people don't follow up. And let's, a lot of people don't know how to network. And I didn't know. And I'm not saying even now I'm an expert, but I definitely put the work in to get to a level of understanding to share. So, <clears throat> Yeah, once I basically asked these people, no one said, yeah, I want to get money and get business. A lot of people were saying, okay, I want to do it to build relationships. I want to get friendships in business. I want to get people like-minded around me. I want to build relationships with people that are interested in business like me. So I used this as the framework for my first event in that way, right? And I've done everything I could, literally. So once I've done that, obviously you get dropouts. That's normal. Um, so basically, by the time I've done this event, it was like, I went, I needed information, you know. So when I got there, it was like we're doing brainstorms about what, you know, breaking it down, you know, in terms of the people that attend rather than assuming what people need. So it was really good. I've done it in like June 2018 and everybody kind of put their input on a piece of paper. And again, I used that data for the next event. It was kind of like the lean startup, right? Um, have you ever read that book? It's a really good book. Go and get that one. Um, which basically says that you get information and use it in your business based on what customers are doing. And it's like practical market research. Um, everyone hates surveys, but I found myself like, what's the best way to get information out of people is a conversation. Like literally making them feel comfortable, vulnerable, and open enough to share and willing to share. Um, so I found myself literally just sitting down. And obviously, yeah, there were times where we were writing down what people thought, but it was in conversation. There was no structure. It was natural. I even filmed the whole thing. And I done many interviews, feedback straight away of what they thought in the moment, and everybody gave me great feedback, and I still use it to this day. And again, like that was me just being 
I would say, completely obsessive about learning about how to network and what the science of networking is and creating conversations in a small environment. You go to big events um, and stuff like that. People easily talk about what they do. And when I analysed, you know, the science of conversation, people don't really care about what you do. In reality, they care about who you are, what your story is and how you can how you can relate to them. That's the key. Every relationship is based on uh, common ground. So, yes, common ground is business, but... Once you start having conversations, you realize you have other interests and then you start building relationships. And one of the things that um, I kind of got was like people want to have mastermind groups and stuff like that. So obviously that spilled into what I do, but everything's about trial and error and getting practical market research and using real data in real time to provide services that people actually want and need. Um, And obviously, again, I'm going to drop another book. I read a book called... um, psychology of selling by brian tracy brian tracy is one of the first people i actually saw back in 2008 on tv it was even no internet in my house at the time talking about psychology of selling and that book if you really want to you know get into why people buy and what people want you know that is the key of marketing is really selling stuff that people need and then you can easily make sales um so that's kind of where i am now um in terms of you know the networking journey and that's why i'm now really been an advocate of following Ryan Leslie and, you know, most of his interviews I've watched and studied and written down and applied the stuff. Um, and this this class, this 30-day, this 30 calls masterclass is something that I'm definitely, definitely been putting a lot of time into, what you get in, what you get out. Um, I'm on my fifth week now um, and it really breaks down, like, the frequency of communication, how close you are, how well you need them, if you need them, if you need each other, really break again the science of of relationships. It's it's, it's a real science. There's people that study um, conversations and talking. You might think of something that we do every day, mundane, but the mundane tasks that we do ev- over and over again have lasting results. Just like the book, The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy. It's like I always say, if anybody wants to start a business, you got to start with that book. Because yes, it's about making money and yes, it's about turning profit. But in reality, if you haven't got the discipline and the habits to back up the actions, it's going to be hard to be consistent. It's going to be hard to, f- to push through if things are not um, embedded and, and consistent. Um, so yeah, I'm still learning, still growing. I haven't done events for a good while. My last event was in 2019. Um, but I'm on, a different, I'm on a different wave now. I feel like I've gone through the student phase of learning about it and I've gone now to the expert stage now and I'm obviously writing a book called Why Conversations Matter which is a spin-off um, from all of the stuff I've been doing I tried to make sense of it um, but today was a good day I had an interview um, in a possible school that I might be working and it was very interesting because they made the students interview us which was great because we're there for them and I was there interviewing them you know they were there to ask us a question each there were seven of them they were all in year nine and it was it was really cool to like see like what they see from their eyes, and I'm I'm always about giving them a voice and and understanding what they need, and that might even tie me back into me being an entrepreneur and um you know and trying to really facilitate instead of assuming, um but you know the stuff they came up with obviously is like they like teachers to be polite, nice and friendly. I counteracted that and said okay, if they're too friendly, what is the benefit and disadvantage and advantage of that? You know, being firm, not fair was stuff that um, another girl said. You know, don't like people that shout, of course. That's a bit, um, it's a bit confrontational. Uh, being relatable, which is something that I've always said, are we relatable to the children? Not just in age, but in background. 
um, you got to stay calm and relax, which I feel like obviously I'm getting information to know for myself, even if I don't get it, just to use it in the future. And I feel that's my nature. Um, and just controlling the class, just knowing that you as an adult can actually take control of, even if it's destructive behavior, you can actually take control of the class because it's easy to, um, you know, let the, let them do what they want. But in reality, you got to take the power as an adult. So one of the books that I'm reading is called um, Science of Conversation. I think I said this before by Lizzie F. Stokes. She's actually an English person. I, um, yeah, I'm using this as a foundation of my book. And in the book today, it was talking about like using names and how that being like an alert signal in someone's brain. And um, I think I talked about neuroscience before, but, you know, I'm going to go down kind of the brief overview of like, you know, using someone's name in conversation could be so important. And I feel like for me, I've understand I've understood a level of conversation to a certain degree in terms of the little nuances of eye contact, of questions, you know, um, of remembering things people say and counteracting that. All of that's in the book. Um but the key, real, really, you know, if you think about it, it's been generally interesting to other people. You know, you know, people naturally like to talk about themselves, which is great. But you need to actually let people talk about themselves, if that makes sense. So ask leading questions, that stuff that you know is important to them, because that's just how we are as humans. Previously, phrase, you know, praising people is good, makes people feel good, builds self-esteem. Using their name, like I said before, is such, such a key thing. Um, remembering things they say, people like when people listen, but people will like it more if they know they've, that you've listened and the way they know if you repeat things they say and refer to things they say. I actually personally like it when people say, just like you said, or, you know, like you said, I like it because it knows that people were really listening and engaging in my conversation and it wasn't just hearing, they was actually listening. And that will go into the next thing, which is listen more than you talk, which is something that I need to learn. I'll be honest. Um, I talk a lot, um, but I'm trying my best to listen as well and have conversations and not button. Sometimes it's easy, but there's an ad, old adage quote, which basically says that, People don't listen to be heard. People listen to respond. Uh, so, you know, that's kind of what it is really, man. Like if, if you're trying to understand how to build relationships, um, it's really about kind of knowing yourself, knowing your strengths, knowing your purpose, knowing your passion, knowing what skills you have, um, you know, knowing, you know, what you know, like what's your thing that you bring to the table that you're good at, that people know you for and be able to counteract that and build a social capital in terms of who knows you and who you know and knowing people in places of authority that can make things happen. Again, this is this is an art, this is a long-term thinking. You're not gonna meet one person and it'll change your life. It's Again, it's a trial and error, like I said, it's not gonna work with everybody. It's something you have to keep trying and working on. Um, but over time, you can build your financial capital, which is basically who knows you, who you know and kind of mixing it with your social capital as well. Um, so yeah, that's how kind of how it works. And again, I'm still learning, I'm still growing, but I love to share information. And, you know, that's all it is really, man. If, if you meet people, it could be like, you could just meet anybody anywhere. And that that might be the person that is the catalyst of your life. And if you if you understand you're the five people that you talk to the most, then you'll know, you'll, you'll look in your phone and you'll see, okay, who's the most contacted? Uh, you know, who's the most text? Who's the most messaged in your whole phone? And then you'll know exactly 
who you're spending the time with and who you're talking to the most and how does that relate to what you're doing and what you're trying to achieve. So that is all my information that I got from kind of my networking notes in 2017, 18. Um, but yeah, like I feel like along with me reading this book, I listened to an audio book called Talking to Strangers by Malcolm Gladwell and he basically talks about, even though I talk about a little bit in my book about talking to strangers and you're having this, this, this deep conversation and I've had many with people that I've just met, even if you just meet them in a kind of social environment, like today, you know, we went for an interview and everybody in the room was having these deep conversations about life and what they think about this and that. And we're, we're essentially competitors. We should, you know, sometimes when you have interviews with people, you can feel the tension, everyone's quiet, everyone's thinking, but I personally like to talk to people that I just met when I meet them in these kind of places because you can learn and grow from them so much and it could just be one thing. And I like to be that for them too. And I might never see them again, but, you know, Mark and Gladwell was basically talking about, like, one of the cases I can think about top of my head is, is, is top of my head is um Sandra Bland, who was a black lady who got harassed by police and she got killed in custody. And it was like, that person obviously approached them, was obviously doing their job and, you know, but when, she, when, when the officer met Sandra, obviously it was a stranger and, you know, straight away, you read people, you see what people are about. And um, it's a very interesting book. I, I, I think people should really read that. The title itself um, is very interesting, Talking to Strangers. But my one is completely different. When I said Talking to Strangers, um, it's about the, the learning value exchange through social interaction through people that you don't even know anything about them versus people that you know. Um, so, yeah, that'll be a segment in my book. Um, so that'll be about it, really. But I'm going to end this here with... Um, rap music you know recently i've been looking at a lot of rap music i do music i love rap um and i feel like there's a quote that went out that said that hip-hop has produced more millionaires than any other genre of music and i feel it's it's because a lot of people come from poverty-stricken areas low-income housing as they call it and they're forced to make something out of nothing so yes a lot of people have come from you know being drug dealers or you know, road guys or street guys as in America, but they flipped it on his head and, and, and put it into something positive. And most things people put it into is music. So I started to watch like, a lot of documentaries from like 80s hip hop to 90s hip hop from like Russell Simmons was a drug dealer, bruv. Like, and he started rap, um, Def Jam, which created a avenue for have nots to have. Um, there's many stories, even DMX. DMX was rough, rough Riders. The Rough Riders are street guys. And one of the biggest things that Swiss Beat said is that gave, they gave the have-nots to have. You know, they were the ones who were trying to help uh, the disadvantaged youth and give them an opportunity to change your life. And that's kind of what I've seen with a lot of music, you know, in terms of, like, where it comes from and who it represents. And, you know, we were talking about America, 80s, 90s hip-hop to the 2000s and the evolution of that. Because I just watched, there was a Netflix documentary that I just watched called Hip Hop Evolution, which took it to every city, every state, sorry, in America and like their own version of hip hop and their own sound of hip hop. And it was proper good, actually, really, because it wasn't just going through the popular guys in them states. It was going to the guys that didn't get popular and famous, but they made enough impact. Um, it was really interesting. It's a long series, but I watched all of it and I got inspired by it as well. And obviously, I want to connect it to like even. The early grime days. Grime was a street music. Grime was stigmatized. Um, you know, there's a lot of 
um, even now, you know, with drill, there's a lot of violence in the music, even with the, the, the rap stuff, because of the environments these people come from. But they have produced more millionaires than anything else in the world because hip-hop isn't just about music. It's always a, it's about the culture. And that's, that's what I feel, like, meaning that, you know, when I watched the Russell Simmons documentary, literally just before I was recording this, he started Fat Farm, you know, Masterpiece started, you know, doing films and they started doing toys and even Dame Dash was doing clothes and they started investing their money into other things and just being a natural hustler. And they're basically transcending their street knowledge and putting it into something else that they can actually make it lucrative and make it really, really good. So yeah, this is me. I'm done now. And yeah, you've just been listening to the Desire to Inspire podcast. My name is Jerome and I'll leave you with this. You can do anything that you put your mind to. You just got to push through all of the bullshit.